Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Tax Talk Talks with Harrison Dell. In this one, we're talking about not tax, but more the other certainty in life, death. And for most of us, death is certain. About me, I'm an Aussie tax lawyer. I specialize in all things Australian tax, Australian duty. I do a lot of work in crypto tax, but really I've been around the private client space for many years. Um, and I see the same things come up time and time again, and I'm here to give you some information. If you can follow me on TikTok, which is at Harry Dell Tax Talk, and I have a Discord channel too, which I think I'll put in the uh, the bio for this podcast. You can come in and tell me what, you, what, what you're thinking or how I'm wrong. Look, before we get stuck in, we are going to talk about death rather flippantly here because death isn't the focus. It's the tax on death. That's the focus. If you aren't okay with that, then this podcast episode just isn't for you. Now, to get stuck in, we don't have a death tax in this country or inheritance tax in this country. As a general rule, there are lots of rules around CGT, which is capital gains tax and death and how that all fits together. Let's run through the very basic what happens when you die to your assets. So when you die, you technically dispose of all of your assets. You don't own them anymore. The beneficial ownership has passed to someone else. This is a CGT of NA1. It will most, at first instance, it should pass to an executor or an executrix, and it would then pass to the beneficiaries of the will. Now, we have a very useful division called Division 128, which basically says that the capital gain or loss that happens on death for the deceased is disregarded. Please keep in mind that it's the capital gain or loss that's disregarded. The CGT event A1 still happens. We'll come back to that in just a moment. This is the general rule, and this is what most people are going to come across, which is someone in their family dies, their assets pass to the executor, executrix of the will, and then the assets pass to the beneficiaries, and that is about as fancy as it gets. And in that case, as long as everyone in it that is an Australian resident, there should be no CGT or even stamp duty in most cases if we're talking real property. That's the basic case. Now let's duck into what's the tricky case? What do the people with heaps of money do? And they use a tool called a testamentary trust. And the logic for this is, why would I give my millions of dollars to my dropkick children who have spoiled their entire lives to do God knows what with, when instead you can set up a testamentary trust and you can control what you're doing or what they're doing from the grave. This is a trust that you declare when you die. So it's in your will. This is different to a trust you declare while you're alive. It's called an inter vivos trust, a living trust. Whereas I don't know the Latin word for a trust when you're dead, but I'm sure there is one. Now the same CGT exemption applies because what we're doing is saying you're an Australian resident, you're declaring a trust over your assets when you die, you essentially transfer them to a trust. If the trust is an Australian resident, which depends on whether the trustee is an Australian resident, and I sincerely hope it is because otherwise you've got big problems, no CGT. Plus, plus, here's a very handy other benefit. This trust you create when you die and you put all these assets in, you can actually make full distributions to minors or children above the usual $416 and get a regular adult tax-free threshold of 18200 Now, in larger families, I've seen this concession be incredibly useful 
there might be 20 grandchildren who would be eligible for a distribution. 20 times 18,200, or it's actually a bit higher when you factor in some of the offsets, becomes a lot of money that you can essentially have tax-free in a trust. This is what the wealthy do. It does cost a fair amount of money to set up. And for the regular person, it's not going to be something that you really want to do. Unless you're paranoid about what your kids are going to do, you're paranoid about their partners and, and what I call family law risks, where people get divorced. And you want to con be a control freak and control all of uh, what's going on from the grave. This, that is the structure that might suit you. Now, going on to something else entirely, there is a different treatment for assets that are pre-CGT and post-CGT. So a pre-CGT asset is basically any asset that was owned before the 20th of September, 1985. Those assets are exempt from CGT until a CGT event happens. On the other side, a post-CGT asset is any asset that was purchased after 20 September, 1985. Considering we're coming up to 40 years of CGT, there are not that many pre-CGT assets anymore. Most of them are post. The treatment I spoke to you about before, that there is an exemption on death, applies to post-CGT assets. There was a full exemption from death um, for CGT on assets that you hold when you die. Fair enough. If you have a pre-CGT asset, that asset was already exempt. And remember when I said the capital gain or loss is disregarded, but the CGT event still happens. Well, this is why it's important. If you hold a pre-capital gains tax asset, such as a piece of land, and then you die, that is a CGT event that will bring it into the post-treatment so that it is now fully subject to capital gains tax. The cost base that the beneficiaries of your will will get will be equal to the market value of that asset on the day that you died. That's something to keep in mind. Um, and it's rather complicated. Let's just leave it at that. Speaking of complicated, here's a really silly one. So I said that before applies to Australian resident beneficiaries of a will. If you're a non-Australian resident, a foreign beneficiary of the will, it's very different treatment. In fact, there is a death tax. What will happen is if you transfer um, an asset from an Australian estate to a foreign resident, a special CGT event called K3 will happen because your asset has passed to a tax advantaged entity, i.e. an entity that when it gets that asset and sells it, it would no longer be subject to Australian tax. It exits the system. A tax advantaged entity includes a super fund, um, a charity, and a foreign tax resident. The capital gain or loss will happen based on what the deceased bought the thing for and the market value on the day of death. Now, sometimes this event isn't too bad um, if there is no value, such as shares in a startup that didn't do anything, things like that. However, if there is significant value, there can be a large tax liability for the estate. It's not ideal to do this. So when we are estate planning and we have um, family living in you know, Europe or the US most commonly, um, we use a testamentary trust instead. That trust to be managed from Australia so that the uh, asset will pass to an Australian entity. However, the beneficiary will be foreign. They just don't receive anything until we've planned what the hell we're gonna do with it. So we did foreign beneficiaries of Australian trust. Now let's look at Australian beneficiaries of foreign estates, sorry, not trusts, estates. 
This gets pretty bloody juicy, and this is some of the most complex stuff that I've ever done. An Australian beneficiary of a foreign trust, including a deceased estate, it's basically a trust, is subject to a section called 99B, which says that any distribution from a foreign trust to an Australian tax resident is assessable income, no matter what it is, with only a very few and short list of exceptions. The key exception is whether it is corpus of that trust. Corpus is a term in trust law, equity and trusts, which talks about what is the assets that were put in, not the income. Income is what comes to the trust for holding the assets, but it is very much what has gone in. This can be relatively straightforward, where an asset, so someone dies in, in say, say Germany, someone dies, the asset passes to their German estate, and then very quickly after that, the Australian beneficiary is transferred that asset. Clearly, the amount that went into that trust, being their deceased estate, is capital, is corpus of the trust. Pretty clear, I think. But where there is a lengthy period before the distribution is actually made, there may actually be a capital gain for the trust overseas and that excess amount above the corpus, which corpus has to be very carefully documented. There was a case recently on this topic called Campbell. If it's not documented well enough, you won't be able to show the ATO that it's corpus and your foreign trust distribution will become fully accessible income. <clears throat> it's not even un under the CGT treatment that we'll normally get from a trust because these rules are basically broken. That was probably much more information than you needed to know. But I want everyone to understand that you can have your affairs very simple or you can have your affairs goddamn complicated. And section 99B is, in my opinion, one of the most complex tax issues faced by anyone who is not a multinational company. The taxation of trusts is just an absolute mess. And this is one of those sections that really stuffs it all up. So everyone, if you're going to do anything remotely fancy with your will, you need really, really specialist tax and estate planning advice. I do this kind of stuff fairly often. I do the tax side. I've got an estate specialist does the other side. Most of you will have a relatively standard will, hopefully relatively few tax issues or duty issues with that. You don't have to waste your hard-earned money on me. But if you need to do some of that in-depth planning, you've got to get those specialists involved. Tax Talkers, thanks for listening. Follow me wherever, TikTok, Discord, uh, Twitter, smoke signals, don't care. Until next time, stay safe.